You're with Sean Jung and Where the Veil Grows Thin, an exploration of the sacred moments of our human experience in life and death, joy and sorrow, birth and end of life. It's the unscripted instant when the heart opens, the face-to-face moments with the divine. Welcome to Season 2 of Where the Veil Grows Thin. Pretty exciting. For me, anyway. So, I'm a little unclear where this came from. The idea that we might all have ways and places where we hide our most vulnerable selves. Ways we put on a face or otherwise avoid being challenged or questioned or avoid being exposed. And then I think, well, maybe it's just me. But I don't think so. Too many people have written to tell me that the things we talk about on these podcasts that are real and true for me in my life resonate with them in their lives, too. Admittedly, most of those emails come from women, and that's just fine. I am a woman. And it doesn't surprise me that we share common threads especially women of a certain age, because I am one of those as well. So, Greg and I have finally gotten to watch Ted Lasso, a television series people had been telling us for years we needed to see, which we did. We saw all three seasons in about 10 days because it was so good, and every episode would make me laugh and also make me cry which is my personal standard for what works. Somewhere in one of those episodes, one of the characters makes reference to someone famous saying that youth is wasted on the young. And I get that. Totally. I'm not sure I can explain what the writers may have been thinking, but it resonates with me. And then... Just last week, my friend Baxter wrote to say he sometimes wishes he still had the energy of his youth. I get that, too. And it's kind of the same thing, but isn't exactly related to what I intended to try to talk about today. I think I think the relevance is that because when we age, we learn. When we stumble and fall and shatter, and completely fall apart, we have the most glorious scars from which to let our light shine through, because we have wisdom. We have grand ideas about things. We just don't any longer have the strength, the endurance, the flexibility, the platform from which to do something with or about all the things we think we've learned. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the tie-in. And hopefully by now, unless you're brand new to these podcasts, you know I fall down rabbit holes, almost as though I go looking for them. What I sat down to talk about today are the places we hide and the reasons we do it. And it just occurred to me that maybe rabbit holes are one of my hiding places. Maybe I go down rabbit holes as a way to avoid something, but I really don't think so. 
I think it's more a sign of a very undisciplined mind and a body very willing to follow it. I know I often use the vernacular we too easily. It pulls us all onto the same raft. I probably do it hoping that I won't be alone in the raft, which is why I mentioned the emails that I receive from people who feel grateful when I speak about things they themselves may feel but maybe have never spoken about either because they don't know how or maybe because they've never been with someone who they trusted to hear it. Anyway, I don't like feeling alone. I don't mind being alone, but I do not like feeling alone. And those emails help me understand that I am not alone. Anyway, speaking of rabbit holes, the rabbit hole of the moment being that I just mentioned hope, which reminded me that I had the very random fleeting thought earlier today that maybe hope is also one of the places we hide. It helps us not feel the broad stroke of fear across our hearts when we learn that our sister's cancer has returned. Or when we think we know something that is yet to be proven true. If I stay focused on the hope that my sister is not going to die of cancer, and that the thing I am thinking is true might be proven to be untrue any minute now, then I can breathe. And breathing is so important. I found a page in a journal that I used years ago in a group I co-facilitated at the Cancer Center. It was a writing group that met once a week. We used prompts to write and then would share among ourselves whatever we had written. The group was for cancer patients who wanted to explore writing as one way to process living. I knew there had been a prompt once on hope, and I wanted to find it. And in opening the journal, I found a lot I had forgotten about. We all hope. We have at all, uh, we have all at some point held on to hopefulness. It's human to hope. What really does it mean to hope, and what really does it do for us? In what ways does it serve us to be our best selves? Well, we can always hope means what exactly? To me, it means that our current circumstance is in some way unsuitable and not to our liking, and perhaps not what we want, so we hope for something other. And what does hoping for something else do to what we have right now, right here? How we are with what is gives us a place from which to move, a place from which to shift to something else. But we have to be in what is in order to even know how it needs to change. To me, hope often feels passive. It feels like relinquishing our power to make change. What has happened when I feel the need to hope for something to be different than it otherwise is in the moment 
and I hold the vision of what I'd rather see it be, is that I know I'm doing the thing I can do. Then being in what is, as it is, until that shift happens, because it almost always does. When Gandhi said, be the change, if I am even remembering correctly who has been given credit for that piece of brilliance, I like to believe this way of being in relationship to our lives is what was being referred to. I'd equally like to believe I always remember to take a breath and do a check-in when I start to feel confused, rocked, or otherwise dismantled by whatever is going on around me. But I do not. But when I do, my life is smooth sailing. So I open this journal and I find a page where the prompt for the day was hiding places. And the choice of the prompt that day was mine. I got to choose it. Seven years have passed since that day in that writing group. Today, when I chose this topic to talk about, I had no memory of having written about it seven years ago. So clearly, on planet Sean, I needed to take another look. And not necessarily a new look, but just another look. When I suggested seven years ago that we all write about hiding places, it had come from a sense that we all have them. But maybe we don't. Maybe some people are so authentic and real and present that they never need to hide. People like Jesus or Gandhi or the Dalai Lama. Most of us, I believe, hide at least some of who we are or how we feel on a daily basis. Our very faces are hiding places. Smiles on the outside when we are weeping and broken on the inside. That saying, we never really know what goes on behind closed doors, reminds me that some people hide behind closed doors. In the closet is another metaphor for hiding. Putting things in a box as a way to hide or contain certain emotions. One participant in the writing group that day described winter as a time of hiding. I found that fascinating. It was a new way for me to hold the word hiding. Nesting is what I call what she was describing. And I realized I had held the word hiding in a negative space. And I appreciated the new, more expansive way of looking at it. And winter is a kind of hiding time. It is certainly a time of nesting hunkering in, a time to do mending, mending socks and quilts, but also mending hearts and souls, a time to reflect and rest, a time of less busyness outside and needing to find more busyness inside our homes. My own hiding places are where I go to either avoid pain or to lick the wounds of having been hurt. I hide under the covers. I hide in the shower. Sometimes I hide in a hot bath or in the hot springs pool. Sometimes on a rock by the river. 
Sometimes I hide in my car. Sometimes I hide in humor and sometimes in sarcasm. Safe places are my hiding places for times that feel unsafe. The amazing grace of a momentary place of hiding is that I am allowed to fully recover myself, to come into myself, to pull myself in there with me, and hold the injured part of myself in love. Safe places to be when we are feeling vulnerable and raw are important for all of us. I've moved from referring to hiding places to referring to safe places as though the two are interchangeable, because in this context, they are. The places I go to lick my wounds, to cry my tears, to mourn losses, and just to let the tank fill up again are my safest places. I take good care of myself in those places. I don't have to stay long, but I do have to know that I have them. When I work at the hospital, I am reminded of the need for places where staff can step away momentarily, from something that feels too big, too awful, too unimaginable, or just something that feels too sad for whatever reason. I've been known to call security to meet me on the fourth floor to unlock a door to one of the balconies so that I can just breathe real air, or so I can step out there with someone else who may need one or two breaths of real air. Know where your places are. Know where you can easily go to recover yourself, to right the catamaran in the storm, to breathe. And then know when it is time to re-emerge. We have this one glorious, wonderful, painful, beautiful life to live. We don't want to spend it in hiding. This is Sean Jung. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to email me at sean at seanjung.com if you want to comment on this or any other episode, or if you'd like to suggest a topic for future episodes. Meanwhile, may you lead with your heart, and I hope you'll join me again where the veil grows thin.